Control systems go. In four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to episode two of Geeks in Space. It's been a while since our last episode, and I promise you that they will appear more regularly from now on. You can count on at least one episode per month, and I hope to be able to do more of them. Uh, today, I'd like to talk about two things. Uh, first, I want to describe to you my first experiences with uh, Elite Dangerous the Oculus Rift. And after the break, we will discuss our science topic of this week, this episode, which is Fermi's Paradox. Right, um, so Elite Dangerous, it's still on my mind, obviously. It is the, the number one space simulator game out there at the moment. Um, and uh, I've been dying to try this game out with the Oculus Rift headset. I was lucky enough to go to PAX East this year in Boston and I got a taste uh, of that experience there. This was pretty cool. Uh, putting on a headset and doing some of those uh, dogfights for people who haven't played Elite Dangerous, you have basically two modes. One is the actual game and the other is the training missions and, and at the, the show floor they, they allowed us to play the Training combat missions, um, pretty cool experience. Actually, sitting in the cockpit of of my uh, my little fighter, but that obviously is no uh, comparison to actually sitting at home and having the time to do some 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 actual play sessions, let alone watch the inside of space stations, which I, which I couldn't do. Uh, in Boston. So, uh, there is this guy uh, who owns a Rift and he was kind enough to lend it to me for a couple of weeks. So this gave me the opportunity, opportunity to actually uh, play from the comfort of my own home. And wow, what an experience that has been. Uh, first the bad, because uh, my PC is a couple of years old. It's an Alienware 17 inch laptop. Uh, it's a pretty good graphics card, i7 processor, so it's it's not a, it's no slouch. But uh, Elite Dangerous, uh, using the Oculus Rift, uses a lot of power. And uh, obviously the game hasn't been fully optimized for the Rift, which, were, which was kind of a disappointment. I've had some trouble getting a stable frame rate. Sometimes I have to uh, uh, switch back the graphics quality to low and still have some judder. Uh, and other times I have no idea what the reason is because I could be in a completely densely populated space station, space station and still get a steady, rock steady frame rate of about 60 frames per second, which is, it's not optimal, but it's, it's pretty damn good when you're in VR. So, technical issues aside, what's it like to play Elite Dangerous with an Oculus Rift? Well, the first thing I noticed was that even when the game was running optimally, uh, it still required me to kind of get used to the sensation of having the headset on my head. Um, when you first pick up an Oculus Rift, uh, it, it feels light, and you think this is going to be so comfortable. 
and it's really not. Uh, we are looking. I, I'm um, using a DK2, which is the second generation prototype, and it's it's obviously not. It, it's it's not like it's not weighing a couple of kilos, but it's still bulky and heavy and presses down on my nose. It actually pinches my nose, so one nostril is closed up, so I have some trouble breathing breathing sometimes. And that combined with flying in space is kind of a scary experience. But uh, my, my physiognomy aside, it's uh, it, it's kind of sweaty, kind of warm, kind of heavy, and and the motions you make with your head aren't translated one. 100% to the movement on the screen. Uh, and even though the frame rate was okay, I still got a little bit nauseous sometimes. Other than that, wow, what an amazing feeling to sit in the cockpit of the ASP and see that, that the, the, the glass of the windows a, a couple of feet away from me, uh, looking out into the stars and, and seeing it's an amazing sight, just hovering outside of one of those space stations, and just taking in the scale of it all. Uh, planets are equally imposing, even though it feels somehow that they are smaller than they're supposed to be. But obviously, that's the the, the result of flying at a, a incredible, uh, some would say, ludicrous speeds of, of sometimes a couple of times the speed of light, and uh, those those huge orbs that are the size of Saturn or Jupiter. Uh, can seem to the, the size of beach balls sometimes, but that doesn't matter. Feeling the sense of presence, the sense of actually being in space, having that cockpit around you, looking around at the panels is just mind-blowing. And this is just a taste of what it's going to be once we have the actual consumer-level rig. I can't wait. Uh, I've this is another thing. I uh, I was in Boston. I had the opportunity to try the. Uh, the, the Crescent Bay prototype, which is a newer version of the Arctic Rift. It's not for sale. Uh, I don't think they're actually planning on selling this thing. Uh, it is. Uh, it has a higher resolution. I'm not sure about the specifics, but it, it definitely has a higher resolution. Uh, it has better motion tracking, and the demonstration I saw was so convincing and so quick and so seamless that after, uh, and, and the, the headset was lighter and more comfortable, so after a few minutes of, of having that on, I almost forgot that I was wearing something, and, and that's, the, that's the thing, that, that's what we're heading towards. So, but back to uh, Elite Dangers, what I've been doing uh, while uh, flying around, uh, feeling, feeling actually being there, I've been doing some exploration. And that's been my uh, my go-to activity to to wind down after the day is done. It's quite relaxing. You just set a course somewhere, like you go that away, course starter, and you, you don't you don't really you don't need to really worry about ma many things. I have a fuel scoop on board, which allows me to scoop fuel from the stars, so I can basically fly indefinitely in outer space and, and try to find stars and planets that nobody has ever seen yet. Um, once you jump to another uh, system, you, you uh, fire up your scanners and they will uh, detect uh, other stars, in, 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 uh, like, like orbiting stars around the main star and, and other planets and asteroid belts. And it's up to me to, to explore them, to go within range, scan them down, find out what they are. And once I've got enough of that data, I will fly back to my space station, and, uh, or a space station, and, and sell the stuff. 
and source of income. So doing that with an Oculus Rift on is uh, is a joy, it's a treat. And it's also one of the few activities that I can do without having to do too much keyboard interaction. Uh, one of the things that's uh, that's really obvious is that we don't really have, and when I say we, we as a, uh, as, as, uh, as in we the users of, of software, we don't really have a good interface at the moment um, for manipulating stuff in virtual reality. Um, the panels are a little too low res. That's a technical thing, but using the mouse and you, especially using the keyboard, uh, it it feels like cheating to just peek under the hood of my, like lifting the Oculus a little bit just to look at the keyboard and find the correct key for certain things that aren't tied to my uh, my Hodas, uh joystick setup. So uh, that's a little inconvenient, but the exploration. I can handle that just being inside Rift, using the sticks, using the buttons. So that's uh, that's a lot of my mind. Combat is a different thing. Uh, I will not get into that. I actually did get killed uh, at Earth, which is not a story. I was exploring and I thought, you know what, I'll just take a right turn and I'll go back to our solar system, go to Sol and uh, try to find a station there and sell all my exploration data in the Sol system. That felt like a good thing to do. Like, I'm going back home telling people of Earth what I discovered. And uh, when I was reaching uh, Earth orbit, uh, my scanner picked up a capital ship, which is basically orbiting the Earth, and uh, I was told it was an impressive sight. So I flew towards the capital ship, got out of hyperspace, and uh, wanted to take a look, and I don't know what happened. I think there was a player camping it, and he blew up my ship before I was able to dock somewhere and sell about two hours worth of exploration data. So that wasn't fun. Uh, because if you get destroyed before you sell your data, you lose your data. Anyway, so uh, one thing I did notice, and that will bring me to my science topic after the break, is a lot of uh, stars and planets have already been discovered in, uh, in elite dangers. I mean, we're talking about a galaxy, I've, I've mentioned this before, of about 200 billion, that's with a B, folks, 200 billion stars. And it, it seems to me, whenever I jump into a uh, quote-unquote uncharted system, uh, since the latest patch, uh, when you pick up a star or a planetary body, it will have a little tag saying, who discovered it first? And I have yet to find a star system that hasn't been visited yet. And that's amazing to me. And um, that, that will naturally roll over into our next topic, after the break, so stay tuned for Fern's Paradox. Science. The Fermi Paradox is a very interesting conundrum uh, first uh, posed by the physicist Enrico Fermi and Michael H. Hart. And these guys uh, came up with a line of reasoning that's in a way disturbing for us uh, space geeks. Uh, what he's basically saying is uh, there should be there, sh there should be so much life out there and uh, the Sun is a very typical star we our Sun is, is not special in any way there are billions of stars in the galaxy that are uh, like the Sun and even many billions more that are older than the Sun and still uh, are, are in, in a, a stable life cycle 
and we found that many, 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 many stars out there have planets. So with billions and billions and billions of stars out there, the chances of, of those stars having Earth-like planets is very high. I mean, just on probability alone, there should be, at a, at a, at a very low estimate, millions of Earth-like planets with water and with, within the, this is called the Goldilocks zone. A planet is in an orbit around a star that is not too far from it, so water would freeze and not too close to it, that it would be too hot and what way the water would vaporize. So the Goldilocks zone is the zone where what the Earth is, uh, plays into as well, uh, where uh, liquid water is possible. So millions of planets should be out there that have these perfect conditions uh, where life uh, could develop. And if you have so many stars and planets that are older than the Earth, uh, with perfect conditions for life, many of these planets should develop intelligent life. I mean, let's assume that Earth is not special. Uh, we can't. I mean, we cannot assume in a universe that is so large that the Earth is some kind of anomaly. There should be many, 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 many stars with planets like the Earth that have a similar line of evolution that would develop intelligent life. So, the chances are there. And if we have all those civilizations, at least some of these should develop some kind of interstellar travel technology. And I'm not talking, I'm not even talking about warp drive, but uh, even us Earthlings have currently the technology to launch probes to other stars that it might take centuries maybe even a thousand years for a probe to reach another star but it is very much within our current grasp let alone what we might think of if we find new forms of, of energy production in the coming centuries so it is completely feasible that we send out at least unmanned probes to our nearest stars very soon so Imagine civilizations that are a couple of thousand years ahead of us, maybe even a couple of million years ahead of us. They should be able to send probes or even manned, well manned, uh, populated ships or, or colonization ships out into the galactic ocean. And, and, and this is where Fermi noted something that's wrong. I mean, if we have all these civilizations, uh, firing their probes and, 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 and ships out in the cosmic ocean. So, where are they? If, and this is an interesting tie to uh, Elite Dangerous. Because, as I said in the previous segment, uh, I've been flying around with my, my exploration ship, and it was very difficult to find ships, uh, 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 stars that had not been visited by other players. And obviously, Elite Dangerous, a very compressed universe, I mean, travel time is seconds rather than centuries. But on a cosmic scale, if we are looking at a universe that is at least 14 billion years old, and uh, civilizations could have ar uh, arisen maybe even uh, as soon as 4 billion years after the universe uh, came into existence, maybe even sooner. And even if they were traveling at satellite speed, most of the stars in our galaxy should have been visited by one uh, probe or the other. Um, and so, so the question is, 
Why haven't we found any traces? Why don't we see any trace of uh, alien life around us? Uh, why haven't we found uh, an alien equivalent of the Voyager probe somewhere in our solar system? So there are a couple of uh, interesting um, answers to this conundrum because all the all the reasoning points towards us having already made contact, basically, with some intelligent form of life. So, there are a couple of answers to, to this, and the most obvious one is uh, we have not been searching long enough to find any evidence. I mean, um, we have been looking at the stars for about, uh, well, if we're talking about the modern astronomy, we're talking about about 200 years if we're looking through telescopes, and 100 years if we're looking through radio telescopes, uh, less than 100 years actually. Uh, I think 1937 was the invention of a radio telescope. But don't hold me to that. Check with you, but never mind. Um, so, that's, uh, if, if 1937 is, is correct, then we're, we're looking at uh, 80, 90 years of, 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 of listening to radio signals out, out in outer space. And um, that's not a long time, and there's not a lot of money for uh, searching extraterrestrial life. It's always been one of those little side projects that's laughed at uh, by uh, governments. Like, We're not going to spend money looking for little green men. Uh, but So we haven't been looking for very long, and we haven't invested much money and time into the looking at all. So. It might be that there are millions of civilizations just a little to the left from where we've been looking. <clears throat> so that's one thing. Another another possibility is we, we've not been looking in the right way. I mean, we as humans, we we uh, live in a certain reality, and I'm I'm not talking metaphysically here. I'm, I mean, uh, the way we look at the world. We have eyes that 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 uh, can send a certain spectrum in the electromagnetic spectrum so we can see certain forms of light but a lot of light we cannot see infrared ultraviolet we cannot see that um, and we use radio waves for communication and these are things that that are obvious to us these are the ways we have found to communicate with each other this is the the the, the universe we observe but it might be very possible that other species have completely different ways of communicating and have completely different ways of transmitting their uh, thoughts, if at all. So, uh, and maybe in frequency bands or a ways of, of transmission that we don't even realize exist. I mean, there have been uh, interesting uh, theories about uh, faster than light communication by opening little wormholes that allow special uh, 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 signals to pass through, or even, and it's a little far fetched, but it, in quantum physics, there is this principle that if you have a certain particle and you split it in two, uh, and you vibrate one particle, the other half of it will act like it's still connected. So if you theoretically would be able to pull those two apart over a great distance, vibrating one particle would vibrate the other part of the particle at the same time, even though uh, it would be breaking the speed of light. Uh, so this is a form of communication. We don't even know if it is possible. It's just theory. But if species are using this, we would have no idea that they were basically chatting or sending their favorite space soap operas uh, around the universe, and we would just be sitting in the soup of information without being able to access it. 
Um, there's another uh, interesting uh, possibility, which is more depressing. Uh, maybe nature works in a certain way that uh, civilizations will destroy themselves before uh, being able to get out there. Maybe it's just too difficult for a species to survive its own internal struggles and and uh, and get out there. I personally, I choose not to believe that. I'm no scientific base for that. But I, there must be there must be some species that does better than man. I mean, look at what we're doing. Sorry, getting preachy here. Uh, so that's one. That's another option. Um, it's also possible, and, and this, <laughs> this is a weird one, and this kind of toys uh, ties into my uh, my Oculus Rift experience. There is a serious um, theory, and hear me out here. I know this is kind of crazy, uh, but there is this theory that it is very possible that we live in a simulation of a universe. Yeah, like that's sinking there. Um, and this is not just like, oh, we're in the Matrix, we're actually batteries for some super machine race. No, it, it, it is actually, it's not unlikely that our universe exists on some level as a simulation in a computer of some other intelligence. And if that is the case, then maybe this universe is created in such a way that we are the only species that has a sentient experience. So it's, it is... It's weird, it's out there, but it, it is a possibility <laughs> that we are alone because somebody crea created our universe for us to be alone in. Uh, another possibility, uh, maybe we are actually the only species that discovers that technology helps us. And, and this is a little less far-fetched and actually equally depressing to the blowing themselves up uh, part. Uh, maybe we as humans are the only species that uh, use technology to change our environment. Uh, the way our world has uh, evolved is because there have been a lot of changes in our climate, in our orbit, in the temperature. Uh, the way the, the land masses moved over millions of years, our environment changed constantly. And change in the environment is, is the fuel for evolution. Evolution is a topic for another episode. It will, when our environment changes, uh, life will either adapt or die. And if you have a, a situation where violent change isn't happening, there is no need to adapt your uh, environment. There are species on our planet uh, now, plants, uh, single-celled organisms that are almost the same as they were in the first uh, uh, when they reach their particular form of evo uh, uh, on the evolutionary scale. And for millions and millions and millions of years, they have not felt the need, or there was no need for these organisms to change, to evolve. So I can imagine planets that are so temperate, so moderate, that there's no need for a plant to become anything more than a plant. And if the majority of life out there is basically just static, Unfortunate, because then we would be mostly alone. Maybe the only other species that we can talk to are so far away that they are just without, uh, outside of our grasp, outside of our reach. Um, and now we, we're getting into some of the more uh, <laughs> humorous, uh, or at least uh, I find it funny, that there is another, maybe, and I find this more plausible than some of the other things, maybe we have been discovered. 
maybe uh, other species do know that the Earth is a populated planet and maybe even send probes into our solar system. There might be, I mean, look at our solar system. We have, we have millions and millions of little fragments of, of, of asteroids and, 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 and comets floating around. And we don't know every location of every little bit in that solar system. It's very possible that, that we just haven't detected a probe that just found us and scanned us and realized, hey, there are some creatures down there that are playing around with fossil fuels and atomic bombs and using radio waves and whatever. Watch uh, things like idols and Big Brother. Please, let's not talk to them because they are not far enough ahead. They are just too violent. They are too dangerous. So it, it might be possible that we have been detected and other species just decided they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Uh, maybe there is this cosmic rule that if you find a planet in such a low level of civilization, you just keep it as a kind of a zoo or kind of a, a habitat. You just let those folks either blow themselves up or come to terms with their own inner violent struggles and until they are ready to join the intergalactic community. Um, Star Trek has another interesting uh, theory of why we haven't been contacted, and that's uh, the Prime Directive. Maybe there is this rule of, and this is kind of related to, uh, maybe there is this rule among civilized alien civilizations that you just don't contact uh, a species before its time. I know that our civilization at its current state, with different countries holding each other almost uh, at the throat with, with weapons and, 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 and ideologies, might actually, uh, a visit from an alien civilization might just be the match in the, in the powder keg that would just set everything off. So maybe aliens are wiser than us and just stay the heck away from us and just like, okay, we're not going to get into that fight. Just let them evolve. And the final two theories, um, maybe there are uh, extraterrestrials already on our planet and they are just observing us. And I'm not talking about uh, flying saucers uh, scooping up some poor fellows in a, in a truck in a, in a, outside of the city. Um, look at the, the spy equipment that we as humans have developed. I mean, we, we are at the point that we can make miniature flies with cameras that can just observe something. Maybe aliens use something like that to just keep a tab on us, like we are this, this nature reserve and they just want to observe us without interfering and without leaving any evidence of uh, observing us. This ties in to this cosmic civilization theory. And the final one in, the, in this, and this makes me laugh, I. I really hope this isn't true, because this would be freaking depressing. The final theory that I've found uh, for uh, us not having found other intelligent life out there, or having made contact, maybe uh, there is this uh, super civilization, or maybe this single being that is scanning the universe for uh, competitors. And if it finds a civilization that's getting advanced enough to challenge its rule could wipe us out. I certainly hope that's not the case, because that would be annoying. Would ruin my day, very least. Anyway, so that's Fermi's paradox. Fermi's paradox basically states life should be 
everywhere around us in the universe. But why isn't it here? I certainly hope we will find the answer in our lifetime. I'm Harry Hall. You've been listening to Geeks in Space. Thank you for listening. If you have any comments, please send an email to geeksinspacepodcast at gmail.com. Um, I will, uh, if you have any questions, I, could li- I would like to read them out in the podcast. Any comments, any, um, anything that can help me make this a better podcast is more than welcome. So, thank you for listening and fly safe. This is Tesco. In four, three, two, one.